Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Fanned by strong winds, the Aliso Fire has burned more than 13,000 acres in Santa Barbara County. That's prompted evacuation orders in rural areas and forced the shutdown of parts of Highway 101. KCBX's Rachel Showalter visited the emergency shelter and livestock evacuation center set up and has this report. The fire sparked Monday in the San Ynez Mountains and spread quickly due to high winds. Evacuations were ordered for the areas of Arroyo Hondo, Tejiguas, and Arroyo Quemada, as well as El Capitan State Park and the El Capitan Campground. Dos Pueblos High School in Galita was used as an emergency evacuation center for those in need of shelter. Basically what we were seeing is mainly people that were evacuating from the campgrounds and then some from the ranches. That's Jessica Hodge with the American Red Cross in Santa Barbara. The nonprofit is supporting the evacuation shelter, mostly with volunteers. Hodge says the shelter is a place for evacuees to catch their breath. We will be on standby probably for as long as the fire is still active and as long as there's further evacuations. Down the road at the Earl Warren Showgrounds, the Santa Barbara Equine Assistance and Evacuation Team is helping to care for horses and other livestock who were evacuated from the fire. Tammy Thompson has been volunteering for the evac team since the 90s, helping out during emergencies. We've had peacocks. We've had goats, cows. We have Nozark. (laughs) Grace Riley slept at Earl Warren overnight after evacuating her horse, Punchy. Riley just moved here from Massachusetts. This is her first fire. It was pretty immediate that we started getting the horses out of there and we started just loading them on the trailer as many as we could get on there safely. Riley says a number of locals came to help evacuate the horses. It still took hours to get them all out but she says she's grateful because things could have been worse. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Showalter in Santa Barbara County. As of this morning, the fire is about 5% contained, but a stretch of Highway 101 remains closed to traffic in the area. On Tuesday, the Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors proclaimed a local emergency. And to the north, fire crews continue to monitor for hot spots after a fast-moving fire in the Sacramento-San Joaquin County Delta destroyed dozens of mobile homes. The fire broke out Monday in the town of Isleton as more than 40 mobile homes and RVs were destroyed at the Rancho Marina Mobile Home and RV park. Rick Hale lost nearly all of his possessions in the blaze. He spoke to the Sacramento Bee. Everything happened so fast. I was barely able to get my dog out and a few things into a truck and peel away while all the houses around me were burning. My front yard was burning. I'm exhausted. I've slept up on the levee. 
About 150 residents were forced to evacuate from the fire, and as of this time, no injuries have been reported. The cause of the fire remains under investigation. The Red Cross has set up a service center for people impacted by the blaze. And this week, Los Angeles continues its push to dismantle large homeless encampments in the city and move people into temporary shelters. It's already happened in the city's Echo Park and Venice neighborhoods. Now the unhoused who are living in a section of L.A.'s MacArthur Park west of downtown will be required to move by the end of this week. The California report went to the park to talk to people affected by the order. One of them was James Sully, who's lived in the park for the last several weeks. Uh, we haven't been told a lot. I, I, I heard through the grapevine that they were going to, like, get everybody out of the park that was staying here or something, right? Including yourself? Yeah, yeah. We, we're working. They're, they're working with us to get housing. And are you somebody who's, like, willingly ready to go, or are you pretty reluctant to make the move? No, I'm, re- I'm definitely ready to go. Yeah, I don't want to be here. Because just conditions? Yeah, I've been homeless for a long time. Yeah. L.A. resident Danielle Richardson, who's a frequent visitor to MacArthur Park, says the camps need to go. He echoes an increasing hardline attitude toward homeless encampments among some Angelinos. We have people that travels around the world that come here and they want to see, you know, it's, it's a landmark. You know, MacArthur Park, they want to see some beauty here. They want to see, you know, the, the, the scenery and they don't it shouldn't be people here camping because the thing, they're doing things here that makes it look bad. Now, some advocates for the homeless in Los Angeles have criticized the dismantlement of encampments, saying they disrupt supportive communities. They also say the city just can't guarantee providing people with long-term supportive housing, and many people will just return to the streets in new locations. And now to another kind of housing story. In the Coachella Valley, desert cities are passing laws restricting or banning short-term rentals. And as we hear from KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb, that's squeezing supply in the city of Palm Springs. Palm Springs continues to be a popular spot for short-term rentals, especially for Southern Californians. In fact, even with the pandemic, the city has seen a nearly 10% increase in listings since last year. That's according to a tally by the Palm Springs Post. Other than getting a permit from the city and paying taxes, there aren't a lot of restrictions. And currently, there are no proposals to put a cap on vacation rental licenses after voters defeated a ballot measure in 2018 that would have phased out short-term rentals. But the debate is far from over in Palm Springs. Some residents complain that the practice displaces locals, causing myriad societal problems like declining public school enrollment or disruptive vacationers. Meanwhile, in the other neighboring towns from Cathedral City to La Quinta to Palm Desert, laws have been passed to limit short-term rentals in recent years, either by location or not offering new permits. Just last month, the city of Rancho Mirage approved a full ban on short-term rental stays, which will go into effect next summer. Prior to that decision, homeowners could only rent out their places in gated communities in Rancho Mirage with HOA approval. For the California Reports, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Los Angeles. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. 
That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. In response to the country's many supply chain problems, the Biden administration is announcing today that the Port of Los Angeles will move to an around-the-clock schedule. Port workers in different shifts will work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unloading ships' cargo, so goods can get moving to different parts of the country on trains and trucks. The goal is to move an additional 3,500 cargo containers during the night each week. But some industry leaders say the added hours will only make a dent in the supply chain logjam if terminals don't relax some of the requirements for truckers when it comes to returning empty shipping containers. The administration promises a 90-day sprint to deal with supply problems as the holiday season approaches. The Port of Long Beach, right next to the Port of LA, has already moved to a 24-7 schedule. When combined, the ports handle about half of all U.S. imports. Meanwhile, the Port of San Diego has approved a sweeping new plan to clean up the air at its facilities and in nearby neighborhoods. The plan calls for all diesel vehicles at the port to be phased out and replaced by electric-powered vehicles by 2030. That's five years before the state of California requires that transition. Michael Zuquette is chairman of the Board of Port Commissioners, which approved the measure yesterday. He spoke to KPBS in San Diego that's going to take a lot of work to get there and that we're committed to doing it and that we have to do it because primarily because of the health impacts on the port side communities are unacceptable. All the diesel pollution in port-adjacent communities like Barrio Logan and National City have been identified as a severe health hazard by state officials. The areas also have asthma rates that are among the highest in the state. Opponents of the plan say it could potentially cost thousands of workers their jobs. But San Diego port staff say adopting new technology that could lead to the elimination of jobs is not part of the overall strategy. California's Committee on Reparations met again yesterday to discuss housing and environmental inequities that have specifically disadvantaged African Americans in the state. Cap Radio's Sarah Mises-Tan has more. The committee looked at how reparations could be given in the form of direct payments or other methods to correct decades of racist policies and actions. Members also heard from experts about displacement of black residents in California. Reverend Amos Brown of San Francisco says... The black middle class no longer exists in the city. We were pushed out. Now it remains to be seen whether or not this state and San Francisco will do anything to bring us back so we can have our fair share. No one else's share, but our fair share. The committee will meet again later this week to look at issues such as the impacts of racism in banking and the racial wealth gap. For the California Report, I'm Sarah Mises-Tan in Sacramento. 
Let's turn to the pandemic and some good news out of Marin County as the COVID-19 case rate there has improved to the point where it's entered the lower moderate transmission level as tracked by the CDC. Marin is currently the only county in the state that's reached that level. Most of California is in what's considered the substantial tier when it comes to transmission rates. Here's Dr. Matt Willis, the county's public health officer, speaking at the Board of Supervisors meeting yesterday. We need less than 18 cases per day on average total. These are not per 100,000, but total cases in Marin per day on average for three weeks in order to be able to move forward. If the county is able to maintain this status for three weeks, it could lift its indoor mask mandate for all public places, according to the criteria developed last week by Bay Area health officials. Marin County has already reached the criteria for hospitalizations and vaccination levels. The county already plans to ease some rules on indoor masks this Friday. Among the more than 700 bills the governor just signed into law are several that aim to fix problems in California's unemployment department. As we hear from the California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin, the changes come in the wake of a parade of problems that jeopardize much-needed help for jobless Californians. Over the course of the pandemic, lots of unemployment benefits were stolen by people who weren't eligible for them. And lots of people who were eligible struggled some are still struggling, to get the unemployment support to which they were entitled. AB 56 from Central Valley Assemblymember Rudy Salas aims to ensure benefits get to worthy recipients with the help of a new fraud prevention unit through which the Employment Development Department can coordinate its efforts. Both this law and AB 110 from Laguna Beach Assemblymember Cotty Petrie Norris require reforms around cross-checking systems between EDD and rosters at the state's Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. The idea here is to prevent fraudulent claims filed in the names of incarcerated folks across the state. But Daniela Urban, who heads the Center for Workers' Rights in Sacramento, says she worries that these efforts could end up preventing formerly incarcerated people from getting needed benefits. So either because those records are inaccurate or because someone has become eligible after having been released from incarceration and the the records are not being updated timely, Looking further into the future, Santa Cruz Senator John Laird's SB 390 will require EDD establish a recession plan with the hope that the agency will be better prepared for the next crisis. But Urban says it's going to take more than this to fix what's broken at EDD. I'm not terribly optimistic about the impact of that bill simply because the ability to lay out a plan is very different from actually being ready to provide benefits for a large number of people who become unemployed in a short period of time. A legislative hearing to review reforms at EDD is scheduled for October 25th. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, October 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks so much for listening and talk tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. 
SFMOMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. <laughs> 